How do you measure a company's commitment to sustainable practices? Then how do you invest in just those businesses that meet and reflect your values via an ETF? One of the world's largest asset managers has been putting a lot of thought into that lately and has some news for investors wanting to ensure they're on the right side of the sustainability cleanup, while also providing their clients with the most cost-effective investment solutions. iShares says there are many different ways to incorporate sustainable investing into the core of your portfolio. Indeed, they believe there is an index for every type of sustainable investor. Indexing, the firm says, in fact, is reshaping sustainable investing. And in this podcast series, we'll be finding out how and why. So hello and welcome to the Sustainability Mythbusting podcast from CityWire in association with iShares. I'm Amy Maxwell, Managing Editor of CityWire Engage. And for the second episode, I'm joined again by James Gloke, iShares' sustainable investing strategist. Today, we'll be delving into some of the most common misconceptions in this emerging field, such as the universe of investable assets is limited, it costs more, and perhaps most contentiously, it costs performance. All three combined are resulting in ESG having somewhat of a moment. The question is, can it be sustained? To answer this, I'm going to introduce James. Today, we're not in the studio. We're in the comfort of our own homes because we're locked down for the second time nationally in the UK. So thanks for joining me from your home, James. Great to be chatting again. So to begin, today, sustainable investing comes in many guises, with ESG focusing on environmental, social and governance factors. We have responsible investing, ethical investing, socially responsible investing. Are there differences between these styles? And why do you think consistent language has yet to emerge, James? So we have to remember that sustainable indexing is still kind of relatively new to the investment markets. Sustainable indexes really weren't around very much uh, before 2015. And actually, the growth in sustainable indexing and the interest in the market really only kind of took off uh, towards the back end of 2018. So there is kind of still an educational requirement um, within the market to understand what makes up the SOG uh, criteria and how it can be utilized in an index. BlackRock as a firm has come up with a spectrum that they believe actually talks to all of the strategies that incorporate under sustainable investing. The first bucket, the far left of the spectrum, we see is the exclusionary only bucket, where you're just screening out companies based on their business activity, whether it's thermal coal, tobacco. As you move left along the spectrum, you then move into where you're incorporating E, S or G factors. And there you are looking at the environmental, social and governance risks associated with a company and what companies are doing to mitigate those risks. And you can have varying kind of levels of uh, ESG incorporation. You can have a, a, a tilting of the underlying constituents to a more stringent removal of companies if they do not have high enough ESG uh, scores or ratings. As we progress along the spectrum, our third bucket we come to is where uh, you are looking at thematics, themes, and you're looking at those kind of thematics that have sustainable tendencies such as clean energy, inclusion, diversity, et cetera. And then 
uh, the final bucket we see on the spectrum is impact investing. And impact investing is where you are looking to have a societal good uh, with your investment. And I think this spectrum actually is becoming quite well known across the industry and allows um, kind of providers like ourselves to help clients understand where they might be on their sustainable journey. And so I think providers are kind of naturally coming towards a sort of consensus. That's great. Let's recap then on those four pillar strategies as iShares sees it, James, as I think that clarity is really helpful here for our listeners. So in this spectrum, exclusionary first, uh, simple business screens, then ESG, uh, incorporating ESG to varying levels, almost can be a light touch, a tilt or an optimization through to quite heavy ESG incorporation where you are cutting companies out based on their ESG score or their performance. The third pillar being sustainable themes and those companies that have a trend towards a sustainable objective. And then finally, this, the impact bucket where you're looking to have a societal good green bonds, uh, products linked to UN sustainment goals fit into this bucket. So across those four strategies, where are you seeing the most interest from a client perspective? I think without a shadow of a doubt, it is the, the second bucket, the, the ESG pillar. Uh, ESG in its current form, I utilising ESG criteria of uh, companies in order to tilt or cut out uh, the index has been around since 2015. So actually ESG has had the last five years to develop, to become confident uh, in the, the market investors, to be kind of aware of its index construction. So it's, it's had that head start. Um, and, and without a shadow of doubt, it's responsible for the majority of kind of uh, the AUM in the market at the moment. And I would say it's close to around 70% of all AUM sustained ETFs is with regards to kind of ESG products at the moment. However, we have seen in the last couple of years uh, products coming to the market that uh, follow just an exclusionary only approach, looking to take multiple exclusions, whether it's tobacco, um, controversial weapons, thermal coal, uh, UN Global Compact violators out of the market. Uh, and, and for now, that's probably uh, uh, looking to be uh, about kind of just under 10% of the market. Companies uh, associated with clean energy has really had a kind of uh, an amazing kind of last kind of six to eight months and really they are kind of probably nudging kind of just under 10 percent of the market as well at the moment so do you think as investors become more knowledgeable and gain confidence in understanding how to integrate sustainability into their portfolios they'll work their way through these four pillar strategies yes but i think for the majority of uh, kind of of the providers of sustainable products it's for us to understand where a client is on their sustainable journey and help them understand where that journey uh, currently positions them on this sustainable spectrum uh, it might be that actually a client is still in uh, standard exposures and is looking to take the first step onto this sustainable spectrum and uh, once they've worked out internally kind of the direction that they are looking to kind of travel in or the, the next step they are looking to take, it might be that an exclusionary only strategy is the first step that, that they feel comfortable in taking, just removing a couple of exclusions um, and, and therefore get the benefits of the carbon intensity reduction that comes with the environmental exclusions one has in there, but also cutting out the kind of the, the negative exposure to controversial weapons, tobacco products that, that they might be uh, receiving uh, pressure from from clients um, or regulators. But it could be that a client is uh, willing to actually take a kind of a leap onto the kind of sustainable spectrum, and, and that is really dependent on kind of 
what level of tracking error they're willing to take, how much they want to improve their ESG score of their portfolio, or what level of kind of carbon intensity, the reduction they need. Similarly, what other kind of business activities might be important to them? Because as you move along the spectrum, you are potentially picking up more business exclusions, uh, business activity exclusions with regards to environment, say. So as you move along that spectrum, whereas you might only have been excluding thermal coal out in the exclusionary product, as you progress along the spectrum, you're probably looking to kind of go even further down the environmental business exclusions, uh, looking to screen out things like unconventional oil and gas, conventional oil and gas, power generation from oil and gas, as well. And therefore, you will be having a greater effect on your carbon intensity reduction there. Uh, but it already always depends about kind of what is the natural fit for the client, because the worst thing a client wants to do is to be going into a strategy, actually, that they don't feel comfortable and confident in. And I think that the benefit that we have now is that the majority of providers have started, like iShares, to provide this choice across this spectrum. Okay, so we've just we've we've spoken there about the spectrum of of ESG styles and and how that impacts conversations with clients. Now let's focus on um, the spectrum of assets and how that changes the conversation once you apply ESG into the investment process. For instance, in fixed income, we're seeing ESG criteria moving more broadly into the investment process. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about the developments you're seeing across different asset classes? I think what equity had was the benefit of a head start over fixed income. And the sustainable indexes that I've spoken to were predominantly equity uh, launching from 2015 onwards. Uh, and therefore, the equity exposures have had the head start. And there has pro- potentially been kind of more of a focus on getting equity exposures out in ESG kind of strategies over the kind of last two to three years to make sure that we've filled that kind of shopping basket of client requirements so that they have the individual building blocks, as I've said, of kind of world, your Europe, your USA exposures in order to help transition their equity portfolios to more sustainable ones. Uh, however, fixed income is kind of rapidly kind of um, moving up behind equity. And whereas actually it was uh, quite small in 2018, if we look at some figures in the sustainable fixed income ETF market, AUM at the end of 2018 was only kind of 1.6 billion. Uh, today, uh, that has kind of risen to 12 billion. So we've really seen a development there. And, and I think as clients and investors are getting more comfortable with how ESG operates, how it is assessed, how it can be incorporated, uh, the understanding is also then uh, increasing interest in what might be available in the fixed income space. A traditional barrier to entry for sustainable strategies has been this perception that um, ESG investing comes at a premium. So how has the diversity you just mentioned impacted costs? So this is a myth that we've kind of been working to debunk for probably the last three years. And I think there's probably enough material out there to give investors a clear understanding that it is probably consigned to the dustbin. I guess if you look back historically, a few decades ago, investors had limited choice in how to access certain exposures. They could either pick securities themselves or they could pay a premium for an actively managed fund. However, we do see that with the increase and in proliferation in sustainable ETFs and indexes, uh, this has lowered the cost of access for investors. Uh, and one of the kind of the, the main kind of direction from leadership from BlackRock was that 
when we are looking to provide ESG core alternatives to clients so that they can transition their standard portfolios to sustainable ones that price should not be a barrier to entry. And so for us, our, the first couple of strategies uh, on our sustainable spectrum, the exclusionary only strategy and kind of the ESG tilting strategy, both of those are priced as exactly the same as our standard uh, ETF exposures. So we want to be able to show to clients that you can invest sustainably, uh, get the benefits of reduced carbon intensity, potentially the kind of improvements in ESG, any performance differential that comes with it, uh, all at the same price as a standard index. All of these developments are great for the end investor. I mean, it's fantastic progress. Another misconception, though, is that you have to sacrifice performance in order to obtain it. So not only do sustainable strategies cost more, which we've established that they don't, but another concern among investors is that you have to give up performance. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic and this has proven not to be the case. Do you want to talk to me a little bit, James, about the performance that sustainable ETFs have put in over the past six months? Sure. Um, And this is one kind of myth that we hope uh, is being debunked across the industry. uh, And it was prevalent that you did have to sacrifice performance investing sustainably. But I think that we've shown through our product materials, um, marketing uh, narrative, but also what is coming out from uh, me- media groups that actually this myth was something that we probably had consigned to the 2018 era. And, and the reason being is that if we look across our sustainable ETFs year to date, all of them in the equity space have outperformed their standard index uh, counterpart uh, and similar for the majority in the fixed income spaces has also uh, done it. Um, and I think this is something that was very much picked up at uh, kind of Q1 this year. Uh, media outlets were noting that during the downturn between mid-Feb and mid-March, their sustainable indexes had put outperformed their standard index counterparts. And at the same time, there had been a significant resilience of flows into sustainable indexes as well. And that, we believe, brought kind of sustainable indexing to an even greater audience, which is why we've seen a dramatic kind of uptick in kind of demand and interest to learn more about sustainable products this year. It hasn't actually been an easy ride in terms of market volatility. This has been a very, very volatile period, and yet the strategies have held up. You mentioned there the resilience of flows. So what do you think recent volatility has taught investors about the resilience of sustainable investing going into the future? Sure. I guess just talking to how sustainable ETFs flows have played out this year. Um, The market obviously was doing very well in in standard ETFs up to the kind of 20th Feb. And from a cumulative flow perspective, standard ETFs, had taken in uh, just under 30 uh, billion uh, US year to date um, by the 20th of Feb. At the same time, um, sustainable uh, ETFs had taken a very positive 5 billion over the first month and a half of the year. Obviously, we then had the downturn and that positive figure for standard ETFs and the the standard ETF market uh, dropped significantly. And we saw about kind of just over 30 billion of outflows um, between mid-Feb and mid-March. However, in the same period, sustainable ETFs uh, added another 2 billion to their cumulative total for the year. So by kind of mid-March, where the market was actually negative for the year for standard ETFs, 
the sustainable ETF uh, total had come in, had risen to uh, 7 billion. And, and frankly, although there was a pause in, or treading water, might I say, between kind of April, May, actually uh, from June onwards, the sustainable ETF market actually took off again and almost uh, was back to kind of pre-Feb levels of, of growth. And although um, standard ETFs have obviously improved markedly since uh, April, uh, sustainable ETFs have grown remarkably. So that um, to the 11th of um, November this year, uh, sustainable ETFs have gathered 36 billion in inflows, um, which is remarkable considering the whole uh, ETF market in EMEA has only uh, brought in 88 uh, billion in total. So, sustainable ETFs are now um, coming in at nearly kind of 40% of all flows uh, into ETFs in EMEA. Uh, and the remarkable thing about that, if, if we go back a couple of years, in 2018, uh, for the whole of 2018, sustainable ETFs only accounted for 9% of all flows. Uh, to the end of kind of 2019, it was 14%, and now we're kind of getting up into the kind of the kind of the high 30s, early 40s, which really kind of is testament to the journey that sustainable ETFs have come on, and the fact that sustainable ETFs and indexes are very much becoming in the kind of foremost mind of investors and clients, uh, and clients and investors are looking to make a move and transition from sandbox portfolios into sustainable ones. And this is a journey we think will only continue. The numbers again, 2018, 9%, 2019, 14%, 2020, nearly 40%. What would you say, though, to somebody who may suggest that this is a fad or this is a passing craze? And in five years' time, we may be looking at it and thinking, why didn't we spot that bubble? ESG is predominantly looking at non-financial data, the environmental, social and governance risk or opportunities a company might have and how where they are mitigating those risks. This is a new area of kind of data analysis, uh, but we think that anything that gives an investor or a decision maker increased understanding of what is going on with the company, and I think there's uh, quite enough white papers out there now that's showing that it's kind of in analysing the ESG risks, you can have a, kind of a, a more material understanding of the performance of a company. Well, anything that allows that greater understanding of a company is surely only a good thing for a decision maker. Uh, and at the same time, we obviously have the, the kind of climate at the moment, the environment where people want to be more responsible with their investments. They want to take particular stances with regards to kind of climate change, the exposure of their products to, say, fossil fuel industries. And I think that is only a trend that is going to increase, especially with the UN climate talks that are going to occur in Glasgow in November next year um, and the drive towards kind of meeting the Paris 2015 alignment of keeping temperatures well below two degrees. So I think it's not that this... Uh, will have disappeared in a couple of years. It's more a case that actually we think that sustainable investing will become the new standard and actually in the future there almost might not be such a thing as sustainable investing because actually all standard investing will be incorporating this from the get-go. 
James, thank you. The title of this episode was more than a moment. Our conversation today, it seems, goes some way to validate that sustainability is here to stay. It seems we're living through a great transition, something which is exciting as an investor to be part of. Thank you very much for your insight today. My pleasure.